Considering the situation we're in, we really have two options. We can look around, kind of look horizontally, or we can look up. And the church father, St. Augustine, has a, a helpful way of talking about the soul. He says that we're rational beings. So we have this uh, ratio superior and a ratio inferior, right? And looking around horizontally at the visible world with its chaos and change um, is looking according to our ratio inferior. However, if we look up, that is, if we look to what is internal, if we look to God and the gifts he wishes to give us, we're using our ratio superior, our higher reasoning. The pandemonium surrounding this pandemic largely arises from looking around according to our lower plane of thinking. We have to resist the modern mentality that the only thing that really exists is that which is visible and tangible. And the modern mind is deluded into thinking that it can sort of control and construct peace in a world of shadows that you simply just can't grasp onto. And the coronavirus is this microscopic organism that's upended this modern delusion. We seem to be transported back to a different time, or so we think, but really it's the same reality as the saints lived before. And so looking around at money, entertainment, and even our own health, we see how fickle these things are. On Ash Wednesday, we heard the command, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And this is not an invitation to despair. It's an invitation to stop looking horizontally and to look up. Divine providence has brought us a trial, and I'm certain that some of you are suffering and may have some anxiety about your stability in the workplace and what's going to take what's going to happen, simply how long will this last? But in this trial, we've actually been given space to look at reality truthfully and to enter deeper into prayer and see more clearly into the things of eternity, to look forward, to look up. And this is an opportunity to use our ratio superior. We are called today and the coming weeks to be renewed in our thinking like the Samaritan woman, right? This is what's happening in the gospel. She's moving from the lower to the higher by Christ's teaching. And Christ stopped, sat down with her, and began to speak. And so today, we have to see Jesus Christ sitting amongst us and teaching us as he taught the Samaritan woman. When he says, Give me a drink. He's speaking to us. And what he desires is not of physical water, but rather the drink of tears, of our contrition, and of our faith. If you listen to the prayer over the offerings, you'll hear this, that he desires our faith, especially today. And so this is a great invitation to, to look up and to use our ratio superior, and to hear this teaching in the gospel, right? So as St. Thomas Aquinas has said, like his whole teaching in this chapter is summarized in these words. 
If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So there are three things for us to consider, not at a lower plane, but in our higher reasoning. And that is the gift, the asking, and the living water. And first, we must ask ourselves, do I know the gift of God? And we tend to ask many gifts from God, and this is good and necessary. We're dependent upon him. We can think of family, friends, health, financial stability. These are all well-intentioned petitions, but we can sort of come to expect these things as a status quo from God and maybe overlook, refuse to look up at what the deeper gift is that he's offering us. We're encouraged with the Samaritan woman to stop looking at our own resources and what's around us and to look at the one who is teaching. What Jesus offers us as the gift of God, he has already given us in baptism and he strengthened it in confirmation. The gift of God is his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so there is a sense in which we know the Holy Spirit. We've received him. But yet, how is it that we know him? We can ask ourselves now, how do I know him? How do I know the gift of God? Jesus is speaking to you today. If you knew the gift of God. And this is an invitation to go deeper, to see the Holy Spirit, not according to a catechetical teaching we've been given a long time ago, not sort of a surface-level understanding, but to truly know him as an intimate friend and as the life of your soul. And it's in this knowing, right? It's a conditional clause. If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked. So this second in the asking, it's, it flows out of the knowledge of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus Christ, the one who is speaking. So Jesus teaches us to ask for this gift. But yet we also need to say how, how it is. How is it that I ask? What is my prayer life like? We have to realize that there, there is different levels of prayer. There's a certain ordering in prayer. We begin with our vocal petitions. Right? It is absolutely great. The rosary is based on this, right? Ten Hail Marys and Our Father, Glory Be. We support this. It's a Dominican charism. But yet, that vocal prayer and that asking is meant to sort of take root deeper in your soul. And there's an asking which takes place in what's called mental prayer, right? And this is the silent communion with God, where we sort of enter out of time in a certain respect and begin to speak to God from the heart and not through rote words, though we need those at times to get there. So we can say, yes, I know the Holy Spirit, but yet there's a, a deeper communion which God is asking of us, and it's by entering into that prayer where he can begin to work. Right? It's entering into that ratio superior, even within our prayer. 
And God may even give us the gift of the final stage of prayer, right? Which all prayer is oriented to. And in fact, our whole lives are oriented towards this final stage of contemplation. And there we are with God, but we don't see him face to face. There's nothing visible. But in faith, and with our ratio superior, we touch the things of eternity, and the concerns of this world simply pass away because we realize they don't matter as much. We're only meant to have them for a time. We're going to our Father. And this leads to the living water, what Christ is speaking about, this third thing. It is in this communion, this prayer, this contemplation, this silent beholding of God, in which we truly receive that water which Christ wishes to give us. And there's an important detail in the gospel that the woman had a water jar, right? She went to the physical, non-living water of the cistern to draw for herself to satisfy her own thirst. And, but what Christ speaks about, the image he uses is living water, right? So we don't have the murky water of the delta, that which is in the bog or the bayou or underneath the overpass of 395. It's, it's a water connected to the source. It's that spring in the mountaintop. But yet this isn't exactly what he's talking about. He's not speaking to our ratio inferior, what we can see. But he's inviting us to see at a higher plane that the living water which he wishes to give us, which is connected to its source, is the grace of God. This is why he says later on in the gospel, the water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This water, this grace, is nothing other than the love of Jesus himself. It is his love for you. It is the Father's love of him. And it's with that love that he actually loves us and enables us to be moved and animated by that. There's a freedom in living in the love of God and allowing it to affect our lives and those around us. And it's precisely here in the Holy Eucharist, the source and summit of the Christian life, in which we receive Jesus as that living fountain. And so... We can drop our water jar today with the Samaritan woman and seek that fountain which is offered in this Holy Eucharist. And we can go to him according to our higher reason and pray, please give me this water that I may not fear illness, disease, or even death. For you are my life, my all and my salvation.